Hey everybody, welcome to Monkeys Took My Jetpack, a very special issue of Monkeys Took My Jetpack. Today we're going to do something we've never done before on Monkeys Took My Jetpack. And that something is, we have a guest, and we're going to do somewhat of an interview. I say somewhat of an interview because of the fact that we have been friends for a very long time, so I'm sure this is going to drift into tangents and other things and just be going all over the place, but I don't care. It should be fun listening for you and a good conversation for us, and that's the two important things. So, without further babbling, my guest this morning, this evening, this afternoon, depending on when you listen, is Josh DeLioncourt. And you know Josh from our Cartoon Action Hour sessions that were put up. So if you're a fan of Captive Souls, this is the guy. <laughs> and uh, well, Thank he, you. <laughs> and he has a book that is out that he has written, which is why he is here. And he has taken some time off of his world tour <laughs> <laughs> and his very busy schedule of guest appearances to come here and palaver. So... Hi, Josh. Hello, Eric. Good to be here. <laughs> yeah. It was funny because the last time I was here was on Cartoon Action Hour, which was recorded five years ago. <laughs> they ended a few months ago. So, yeah, so it, for me, it's been a lot longer than it has been for your listeners. Yeah, that's true. A little longer than a few months ago. I think it's been about a year at this point. But still, it took a long time for those to see the light of podcast day. But yeah, let's talk about your book. The book is called Haven Lost. It is the Dragon's Brood Cycle Volume 1. Correct. And I'll let you tell us about the book. Well, it's an epic fantasy uh, story, because that's mostly what I enjoy, and I suspect what a lot of your listeners probably enjoy as well. The story is uh, about a teenage girl. She's from uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, hockey player uh, at her uh, high school, and uh, a series of events kind of start off at the beginning of the book that end up taking her into uh, another another place, another world, so to speak, that's uh, much more fantastical. There's a lot of creatures of myth and legend uh, involved, and she basically has to figure out uh, why she's there and uh, what's going on. There's uh, lots of, lots of uh, action, lots of battles, lots of magic... Pretty fun, pretty dark. Um, I people have asked, uh, you know, if I was going to compare this to something else, and it's a little bit hard because I, when I set out to write it, I was writing a book for me, not not a book that I was trying to box into a particular category. So while it's definitely epic fantasy, it's it's got a lot of different influences in there, and probably my three biggest. Uh, Literary influences would be uh, Stephen King, Anne Rice, and J.K. Rowling. <laughs> so uh, those are three very extremely different authors, and so you, I think they they uh, have all played a part, and probably a lot of other things that I don't even realize are are in there. But uh, but I think it's a good book. You've read the book. What did you think of the book? I thought it was awesome. You're extremely gifted at description and putting someone in the middle of a scene, which I suspect not only stems from your natural talent, but also I have a feeling that is part of the Anne Rice influence creeping in there. But that's one of the things that is so good about her work also, is that it puts you right in the middle of where she wants you to be. You do the same thing. Well, thank you. I, yeah, I try. I, uh, I love, love her work and I love, uh, I love 
describing things and and that sort of thing. So I, yeah, I, I, a lot of people have said that the uh, the imagery in the book uh, is compelling, and the book itself, I should probably uh, mention, has been much better received than I could have ever hoped for at this point. It's been only been up for a couple of months. Um, and I've gotten quite a few reviews on, on Kindle and iBooks and, uh, Goodreads and places like that. And it's, seems like everyone who's, uh, who has read it has really enjoyed it. And that's, that's been incredibly gratifying as well. Yeah. Uh, well, it's well-deserved, sir. Thank you. And, uh, and although I think you would probably do well to stay and listen to the rest of the interview first. If you're interested in picking up the book, it's available through uh, any number of ebook links or book links. You can get paperback or ebook. Um, yep, there's paperback, Kindle, iBooks, Nook, Kobo, and a ton of other ones I've never heard of it until putting out this book. <laughs> so. Uh, it's available all different kinds of ways. Paperback's on uh, Amazon, and that is uh, discounted on Amazon as we speak at the moment. Amazon's prices seem to go all over the place. It's whatever Amazon happens to feel like charging today, but it's usually around $11-ish. I think it's eleven sixty-five right now. That's the for the e-bo- paperback. That's for the paperback. Okay. The the uh, ebooks, uh no matter where you get it, are two ninety nine, which awesome. is a good deal, I think. Yeah. Considering this is a... Very lengthy uh, novel. I, I don't use epic lightly in the epic fantasy uh, label. There, it's uh, f- about five hundred and I think it's five hundred thirty-eight pages in print. So nice. it's it's he- it's hefty. So so and now I, I happen to know because of our conversations that this is a story that you've had with you for quite some time. Um, do you? Yeah. Mind sharing that or is that? Yeah, no, I <laughs> totally can. So I, uh, I originally had the, the basic idea, uh, for this. Yeah, I should also point out all the links directly to the books, uh, the different editions of the book are available at dragonsbrood.net. So I should point that out as well. If you go there, you can also, uh, get to all those editions we were just talking about. Okay. I'll link that so, in the show notes. All right. So the um, yeah the the basic idea for the the story and really more or less the the entire s- series came to me while I was still in high school and um, several times over and that for you may not realize that was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting old. Uh, that was over 20 years ago that I originally had the idea. So uh, over the last 20 years, uh, I periodically kept going back to it because I loved loved the basic idea and I kept starting the first book in the series and um, it never quite worked and I was never never able to to get beyond the first few chapters. And uh, uh, over those years, I I wrote a lot of other things, lots of uh, their short stories and, and music and I do all kinds of different creative endeavors uh, and, uh, over the last 20 years. And uh, in the stories, I kept writing other ones. And every once in a while, I would write something and think, you know what, that that, that character or that setting or something, that would work really well 
in this other series that I want to get around to doing, and I would just kind of file that away. Um, in 2007, I got uh, the idea, summer of 2007, I got the idea for a character named Emily Haven, um, who would be a hockey player with some uh, supernatural-like uh, abilities, and it was completely disconnected from the, the other story. Um, and then last year, uh, when I sat down once again to try, uh, two, two things gelled. I realized that that character, Emily Haven, was really who the Dragon's Brood cycle needed to circle around, I guess you would say. And, uh, and I realized that I'd been starting the series, um, and the first book at the wrong place in the story as well. So what I did uh, was I started er a little earlier in the narrative uh, than I had all the other times trying to write this um, and incorporated her character as, as the main heroine. And once I did those two things, it all just flowed. And uh, it, I, very, very happy with how it came out. Where, where the, all the other versions that I tried started was about 10 or 11 chapters into what turned out to be the, uh, final novel. So. That's interesting because when I think it's, it, the way the final product is, it's so connected. I mean, you see the whole thing through Emily's eyes. So trying to envision how it would have been starting 10 or 11 chapters in without, because I think, I think, and I don't want to, I don't want to say because I don't want, I'm trying to keep this spoiler free. I think I know about where that is. Um, and then just, just to see that without Emily there is just weird. I, I just can't, I, I'm having trouble. <laughs> Yeah, well, it, it wasn't it wasn't working, and <laughs> part of the reason I think is why why it wasn't working. So it all um, it all eventually uh, meshed, and uh, a lot of characters from other things I had written kind of uh, fell into place. Uh, for example, there's a, a, a character named Paige, and once you've read the book, maybe come back and listen to this again, and you'll get some neat little extra pieces of info too. But the character Paige was uh, one of my favorite characters in the story actually she's very very interesting not pretty minor character not a, not a major character but she's she plays an important role and she was actually um a character with a completely different name but otherwise pretty much identical to how she turned out in this book it was in a story that i had written uh back in about 99 2000 somewhere in that time frame um and uh the, the character at that point was named, I think it was Tamala or something along those lines, but otherwise essentially the same character in a completely different story. And uh, I knew that there was going to be a character uh, playing the, the you know, doing what Paige does in the book, uh, but it wasn't until I was probably maybe uh, a quarter to a third of the way in that I realized, oh, you know what? That's going to be that character and her name isn't Tamil, it's Paige. So it's kind of it's kind of interesting when you when you sit down to write how uh things will will surprise you, no matter how how much you think as the author, you know where the story is going. Um 
you there will be things that will will pop up and take you in, in a different direction or modify something a little bit and uh, and be a surprise which is a lot of fun yeah i've i've experienced that thankfully it happened to me while i was plotting something out as opposed to in the middle of writing the actual story uh i had been writing something which never made it to fruition for reasons i won't go into but it was going to be about this guy and his friend and as i'm writing all of a sudden some like they always, writers always talk about how the characters talk to you and it in this case it was pretty true i just i was writing along and all of a sudden describing the events that were going to take place and the character of chris didn't want to be chris and didn't want to be this guy's friend and it 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 was it turned out this character wanted to be this guy's daughter well all of a sudden that takes on a whole different <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, different yeah. relationship, different gender, different, different, different dynamic. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so it it worked out very well. I was I was quite happy with those two characters. They had they themselves had nothing to do with why the thing didn't see. Actually, the main reason why it didn't get finished was because, and this is a lesson to all you writers to be out there. I edited the heck out of the beginning portion so many times that I got bored with it and never and I. Just never forced myself to finish. Yes, I have been in that same situation with things I've written as well. The trick uh, is, as I, as I learned writing this novel, and uh, which I think worked out well given the length of it, <laughs> uh, you write, get your story down, don't worry too much about it, and you can go back and, and tweak things a little bit. Like usually what I do is I, I write a chapter out, I uh, go back to the beginning and read through it, Maybe add a sentence here or there, or cut a sentence out or something like that, but no, nothing major. And then that chapter's done, and I move on to the next. And then when the book was done, I uh, went back, you know, several times, did a second draft and a lot of uh, editing and things like that, and, and added some, changed a few things. But uh, doing that at the end, when you've already got the story done means that you're not hampering the momentum that you're gathering in, in your storytelling. And that's, I think, crucial if you want to actually finish something, um, especially something of any substantial length. Well, let's talk about that for a second, because I find it fascinating that you, this was a NaNoWriMo project. Yes, yeah, it started started out that way. It went well beyond right but i mean but i mean this is you are a success story for nanorimo as far as i mean nanorimo yeah, so, for those who don't know is national novel writing month and what they it's a you can anybody can do it it's in november starts november 1st and the goal is to write a fifth uh, am i going to get this wrong yeah 50 50,000 50, a 50,000 word novel in 30 days and Many have tried, and, well, I shouldn't say few have succeeded, because there's always a, a winner each year, but I'm oh, sure yeah, there's, many there's more several. fall by the wayside than, than actually finish. And yeah, there, there are a lot of people who, who, uh, who make it through, uh, not nearly as many as start it. But, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I did that, uh, started on, uh, you know, on November 1st, and... Uh, to get to 50,000 in 30 days, the math works out that you need to write 1,667 words a day on average. 
So if you write less than that in a day, you're going to have to make up for it the day before if you want to kind of stay on target. Well, I didn't have really any problem staying on target because I ended up, after about the first week, I was so into my story that I was easily writing above that. And uh, I actually had a uh, a trip road trip that I was taking uh, over Thanksgiving weekend at the very tail end of November last year. So uh, I wanted to hit – I wasn't going to be – anywhere where I was going to be able to enter the thing that's saying, hey, I won. So I, I needed to actually hit 50K before the 20, uh, I think it was the 26th was the day we were leaving. So uh, I had to do it in 25 days. And um, the day before we left, I broke the 50K mark. I was at 52,000 something when uh, I was done. So I submitted that in before we went on the trip. But that was only uh, a third of the book. So over the next two months, I wrote another 100,000 words through December and January as well. That's so. crazy. So they don't care if you finish the book as long as you've written 50,000 words. That's correct. Yep. Okay. Yep. It's just about getting 50,000 50, words done. So And 50,000 really is like, that's basically the bare minimum to be considered a novel. So Yeah, these are not the days of the pulps where... Actually, I guess those are probably about forty thousand to fifty thousand words. Well, to put to put a little bit of example, yeah. I'm, hopefully I'm remembering this right, but I believe uh, Fahrenheit four fifty one was forty five thousand. So by today's standards, that would not be considered a novel. That would be like a novella, right. I guess. Yeah. Um, and uh, anything over a hundred and ten thousand words is considered an epic, no matter what the genre is. I didn't realize that there were other novels considered in other categories uh, that were, are epic that are not fantasy because you always hear epic fantasy kind of lumped together. But there's a category, no idea this existed, epic western, and I was like, that's bizarre to me. It, it makes sense though. You look at books like Lonesome Dove and things like that, where it's a cattle drive across, the, you know, and and I could see where that would be considered an epic. But yeah, I mean, I didn't realize it either, but, but when you think about it, it makes a lot, it's all over the place. And I just, I just personally, like you, never noticed it before, like in a, an epic romance or, you know, an yeah. epic of historical fiction. I mean, that, that could easily be, um, I've seen those, but yeah, for some reason, I like you usually think in terms of either fantasy or science fiction when I think of epics. So yeah, that's, uh. Yeah, that's you. You are an inspiration to me in that I think I'm going to try my hand at something this November, and uh, see if I well, can. Their their whole system is great anyway because they give you basically a um, a uh, you you sign up on the website. You you have an account and everything. You're logged in. You can uh, be, become uh, writing buddies with with different people, which I did. Uh, last year, if I, I don't know how much overlap, if any, that there is, but if you listen to the Max Accessibility podcast, uh, MJ and I were writing buddies last November. And, uh, you can I did of, not even I, know that, and I'm in the Max Accessibility podcast. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, so you can, uh, you can kind of, uh, you know, watch each other's progress and cheer each other on and that sort of thing as well, which is, which is pretty cool. And, uh, one of the things that you do is every day when you're, you're done writing for the day, or even several times a day if you want, you uh, do a couple of things. You update your word count, like where where are you today? And then it does all the math and says, okay, at this point, 
Uh, so far, you are averaging X number of words per day, which is actually really good because it keeps you aware of when you're falling behind or or not. So you know you you know as long as you're over that 1,667 word mark on average, you're good. Um, and uh, it works. It, it's very, very easy. Just literally, just putting your total word count every day where you're at. So if you you wrote 2,000 words yesterday, and now your word count says 3942. You don't need to figure out that oh, I wrote another and try to subtract it. You just punch in the total that it's showing in your in your uh, word processing program of choice, and uh, it does all the work for you. So it's it's awesome and really keeps you motivated to keep going. So. Very cool. Yeah, I, I ordered, there's a book by the guy who runs NaNoWriMo or who started it or something that um, I ordered. There's a new edition coming out this year. So I pre-ordered it. So it'll be it'll be getting to me right about the time of November. I think it comes out in October. So you have a ch- chance to read it before right. crunch time begins. So I'm excited to do, because my worst, my weakness in writing is rather ironic given that I'm a game master, but my weakness is plot. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I just, I, I'm great at coming up with the beginning of an idea and maybe even the end, but when it comes to the middle, I go, okay, there is nowhere for this to yeah, go. Yeah, what, what works for me in general is... uh in a story, I'll have it. Kind of depends on the story that I'm writing, but in general, what works is okay. I kind of have an idea where the story is going to start. I usually know where it's going to end up, and I usually have sort of landmark moments that I know. Okay, this needs to happen. This needs to happen. This needs to happen. So I maybe have, you know, anywhere from maybe you know four to eight sort of you know touchstones. I guess you mm-hmm. would say through the narrative. I don't necessarily always know how it's going to get from point A to point B to point C to point D. I don't know all the bits in between, but um, I've found that in you know you start it and you know where your next one is. Uh, let the story carry you, and don't worry too much about getting to it because usually the story will get to uh, where you want it to want it to be, even if that takes a little longer or you end up going down a side trail in the meantime and. You know, it doesn't work 100% of the time. I've got, I use uh, Scrivener for writing. I've got a folder in there for the first book, and I'm sure there will be one for the second book, which I've just recently started, uh, that I called Deleted Scenes. And it was basically, I would start a chapter, and sometimes I finished it, sometimes I got halfway into it, um, something, and realized, this isn't working. <laughs> so I would send that to the deleted scenes folder and start over. And uh, usually, you know, I was able to recognize why and correct course a little bit. You might have to do that. You may toss out a few thousand words. But if you're writing, you know, a 150,000 word novel, tossing out, you know, five or 6,000 words through the course of that isn't isn't a very high percentage. So nothing much to, to worry about. Uh, the very first time, though, I did it, it was painful because I was like, oh, it's like, I just read 2,000 words and I'm just throwing them away. <laughs> that was why I couldn't bring myself to just delete it. And I created the deleted scenes thing. And that actually worked out well because there, there was some good writing in there, even if it was taking the story in the kind of the wrong direction. So I was able to go back and refer to things and 
pull things out of there and reuse them later at different points that, that worked out pretty well. Yeah, that'd be interesting to, I know, I don't know about other platforms, but Kindle has their extras thing that you can be interesting to maybe have an addition where you put some of those deleted scenes into the extras, <laughs> kind of like a DVD. Yeah, it could be. I'm not sure. They, they've they only got certain categories of things. I'm not sure if there was a, a section for deleted scenes. I'm actually looking into, you can add those to your book at any time as well. So I'm actually looking at uh, possibly doing some extras for the first book while I'm working on the, the second volume right now. So it's, it's, it's neat. It's a neat idea. Yeah. I wish that more of the platforms had that available. And you talked about how you got kind of surprised at, at several things changing from your initial idea. And just now you were talking about how you have touchstones that you, you know, you work between the touchstones kind of, you, you, you go, you write one and then you just let the story carry you and knowing that you're going to eventually get to the next one. Did you have any, did you have any surprises of, I guess what I, did, did your characters ever decide they wanted to get ornery? On you and do things oh, that yeah. you were not oh, expecting. Definitely. In- <laughs> definitely, there were there were a couple of things. Uh, one of the characters uh, who, yeah, I'll keep it spoiler free. But one of the characters that I expected to be um, a very uh, easygoing, very friendly sort of character uh, wasn't at all, and uh, that caught me off guard and it made the story go in, into some different directions that I hadn't necessarily anticipated. But when the, when the characters, you know, the authors say it and it sounds crazy to somebody who doesn't actually write. Uh, but the characters do, they do talk to you. They do tell you. Uh, some, sometimes I would get to a character and I'm about to introduce the character and I know that the character's name is fill in the blank. And then the character says, huh, no, it's not. My name is not enough. Like, okay, fine. I guess it's the other one. <laughs> so sometimes you just had, had to go. And, and, you know, when things would get busy, you know, this was during the holidays and things, a lot going on, and I wouldn't write for a day or two. You know, the characters are in your head yelling at you. They, you know, hey, you're leaving us hanging here. We need to, we, we need you to keep us moving along here. So and it sounds crazy, but it's, it's true. It's, it's a weird, weird experience, especially uh, I think with a novel, cause I, I, when you write a short story, there isn't as much time to really get close to or attached to your characters when you're carrying them through a novel that you're, you know, spending three months writing. It's a, uh, it's a whole other thing and, and your characters can get, uh, can get obnoxious from time to time. <laughs> and the other question along the similar lines, did you ever have moments where you put your, characters in a situation like a cliffhanger and you just had this like you're like i don't know how in the hell i'm gonna get them out of this let me just stop for the day and figure something out or did it just kind of yeah oh yeah um that definitely happens and usually though that worked out fine because on on the whole uh i Whenever I would reach the end of a chapter, that was usually the end of the day. Even if I didn't write an entire chapter in a day, because some of the chapters are, are quite long mm-hmm. in the book. So I might, you know, maybe write half a chapter, and the next day write the other half. But usually when I would get to the, here is the end of this chapter, that's it for the day. And yeah, there were times where I'm like, I have no idea how I'm going to resolve this tomorrow. 
I better figure it out before then sort of thing. And and I always did. It, it never turned into sitting down the next day and being at a complete loss. At, at some point in the intervening hours from, you know, one evening to the next, you know, morning or whatever it would be that I would sit down to write, um, it would it would sort itself out. And I, a lot of that has to do with the characters. That happens, I think, more... I, I think you, you struggle with that a bit more early in a novel when you get to you know like for me i would say it was probably about the maybe chapter 10 the book the book is uh 43 chapters in an epilogue so chapter 10 is probably a little less than a quarter of the way through the book by the time i got to that point i was invested enough in in emily especially and a few of the other characters that uh they usually provided the the answer to whatever the predicament was more than me needing to come up with it which again sounds very strange but it's it's the way that it works. So they, their, their personalities, their characters kind of dictated what, whatever the solution would happen, you know, would need to be. So, and, you know, things like they, they will go off on in their own directions as well. Uh, the book, what is the first, uh, three chapters of the book? When I sat down to start writing, I thought that was going to be chapter one. (laughs) <laughs> it turned turned out to be three chapters, and in the end, uh, it was all very important stuff. It wasn't really anything that could be cut. Um, it was just Emily had her own ideas about how how this was going to go and and the way that the story was going to be told, and and I uh, thankfully was smart enough to listen. <laughs> yeah, that's that's awesome, and it kind of leads into another completely different subject because that's sort of how game mastering works at least for me I've it's funny I don't think I think I have game mastered the least of anybody on this podcast (laughs) but but uh, except Nikki because Nikki refused to game master but that's a whole different that's okay (laughs) she's just that's that was her choice and we respect that but uh but still, I, I'm, I've been in situations in game mastering where I get to the point where at the end of the session I've left my players and their characters on a cliffhanger and I have no clue how they're going to get out of it. Sometimes it's because I just came up with the cliffhanger, depending on how closely we're adhering to the plot that I had in mind. It could be that I just came up with a cliffhanger on the fly because I knew we had 10 minutes left in the game and I wanted to end on a cliffhanger. Sometimes it's just because <laughs> I just don't have, you know, for whatever reason, have no clue how they're going to get it. And I think in some ways that's a similarity between writing a novel and writing. There are many differences, but the, like you said, when you know the characters and the characters, they're going to find their own ways of getting out of a situation. And it's kind of the same thing with with players in a role-playing game. It's kind of fun to not have an idea preset as to how they are going to get out of a situation because then you get to be surprised and delighted and sometimes annoyed <laughs> at at uh, at how they come up with something that you didn't even see coming and then you get to go okay let's regroup very quickly in my brain and figure out how this is going to work but uh, you, you know what's funny about that is uh, until hearing you talk about that, I I just now sort of realized that uh, you know I was talking a minute ago about the touchstones along the way and and letting the story 
get there when it gets there kind of thing. That's very much been my approach in game mastering as well in, in the, over the years, right? We, we've, before Cartoon Action Hour, we played, I think, three, at least three or four campaigns we did. Uh, cause you, you were the one that originally I played my first role playing games, uh, tabletop ones with anyway. Yep. Um, back in the early 2000s, we did three or four campaigns that I, oh, no, well, we did more than that, but three or four that I, uh, that I game mastered. Uh, you did a couple. Yeah. Uh, as I recall, right? You did the Star did Wars one. Star Wars one, Wars one and, I know. and, uh, the Toon. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. You can't really, Toon isn't really one you consider in campaign because. Well, it wasn't a campaign. It was a, a, a one-off. Yeah, but, but still, yeah. Um, yeah, but anyway. So, okay. So, but yeah, when in doing all of those, uh, I very much did the same thing because I, I was creating the stories and, and uh, situations that you guys would get into. But I was along the same lines. I uh, I had a lot of touchstones along the way, uh, more than I, I did for the novel, but... Uh, uh, pretty much every every session, I would have a this needs to happen this session to to move the story along. But the rest of it, I kind of let you know let the players do what they're going to do. Um, if they get s- stuck somewhere, I'll invent something on the fly to keep things moving. But it was kind of the same idea. It was just on a I need a touchstone for each session sort of thing. So in a lot of ways, that probably helped uh, as practice for when I sat down to write a full length novel. It's kind of interesting that I had not really thought about that. So I would be remiss if I didn't, if we didn't address Cartoon Action Hour and the Captive Souls thing, because that's what people here know you best from. Uh, How did you get that idea? Well, I wanted to do something uh, like any anyone who uh, knows who I am, and probably it was mentioned more than once in the Cartoon Action Hour uh, episodes somewhere. Uh, I'm a huge Masters of the Universe fan, which was big in the 1980s, and I wanted something that was of the same flavor um, without being a complete ripoff. <laughs> so that was basically... We prefer the term homage. No. Yeah. Um, well, that was basically the starting point uh, when, when we had decided uh, that we were going to... Uh, do a cartoon action hour campaign or whatever you want to call that. So, um, and, and in reading it and knowing what it was about, I mean, that it was because I was such a big masters fan. I was like, okay, yeah, this is, this is the, the, you know, this is something I want, I want to create a world for this. And, uh, so I, uh, I basically just sat down and and thought about okay, well, what are, what are what are the elements that will help keep the flavor, and you know that basically just boiled down to I want the the sword and sorcery aspect and the uh, sci-fi technological type aspect to coexist like they do in Masters. But beyond that, I can pretty much do whatever I want with this, and I, you know I, I wanted a strong villain as well, which. You pretty much needed to do if you're doing anything that's uh, a nod to 80s action cartoons. You need that strong recurring villain. So created, I think I created the villain first, if I remember correctly. And uh, and I think I think I created most or, or several of his uh, co-arts uh, shortly thereafter. And 
wanted to um wanted to make it so that the quote unquote hero so in in masters your your main hero is is he-man right but he is it's very different than a lot uh or maybe maybe not very different but it is a little different at least from a lot of other action shows because while he's he's the star of the show and he's the he is the hero masters of the universe very much was an ensemble cast for the heroes, especially, right? Every episode's got He-Man, pretty much every episode's got Man-at-Arms and Tila and Orko and the Sorceress, and you've got, you know, all these different uh, characters who generally, in most episodes, Stratos, all these guys, they generally are working together to defeat Skeletor or do whatever it is that needs doing in a particular episode. So I wanted to to solidify that a bit more uh, in Captive Souls, which was the whole Knights of Shinseen idea. It was, this is the ensemble, and it doesn't matter uh, the group of players that are going to be playing the game or whatever and the characters they create, because as a unit, they are a hero. So kind of taking the same idea that, that Masters had done, but taking it a, a step further, where there really wasn't, a hero, you know, even amplifying that ensemble idea um, a little a little further. So, yeah, that make that makes sense. And even though even though we were, as far as we knew, the last of the knights of Shenzhen, but you could have had any group of characters. Right. Be, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's cool. And and then to, and I guess the the other big question about because we covered how you approach your scenario design, which is and the other the other question I'm sure is on everyone's minds is will there be a season two of Captive Souls? Uh, I would love there to be. Actually, we should uh, we should do that um, at at some point soon, especially when things start to uh, settle down <laughs> a little for me. Yeah. But, been extremely busy uh, of late, but uh, yeah, if, if we can get uh, the cast uh, together, uh, I don't know what Adam's doing these days, but uh, get the cast together, or or even uh, maybe a couple of new faces. I would I would love to do a, a season two. I love love to doing season one, and uh, just been just been busy. It just hasn't happened, but we should we should make it happen. And I promise, if we do season two, it will not take five years to come up on the podcast. <laughs> Good grief! I did not. Ex- yeah, I mean, I I well, did not expect intended to, take, to no, be not that type of thing originally, right? We were recording it to maybe throw up on gutter skype, yes. right? That was that was, and we did initially. We threw about half of them on uh, gutter skypes, and I forget why it was finally decided that I would just put them on. Monkeys took my jet. I, at the time, I didn't have um, monkeys took my jet pack. And we were doing stuff on Gutter Skypes. We call ourselves Gutter Skypes, Gutter Skypes Mach 2. And eventually, the whole reason this podcast started was that Adam said, Hey, you know, I don't have as much time as I used to, and I'm having, you're, you're giving me too much material here to work with, which is great, but it's not great for my time management. And you really <laughs> right. should have your own podcast anyway, because this is stuff that could easily have, it could stand on its own. And, and he was right. I mean, our play style was a little different from the gutter skypes. We were a bit more um, 
well, we earned our <laughs> explicit tag a bit more than the gutter skypes. <laughs> I mean, it's just a different. It ended nothing good or bad about either one of those. It was just it was just a little different. We we uh, and so that's how this podcast got started, and it just seemed like. Um, I forget at what point, about halfway through Cartoon Action Hour, for whatever reason, and I don't, I do not remember why, but it was decided that it would be better suited for this podcast. So we, I decided rather than just pick it up where it left off, assuming people were listening to both podcasts, I didn't think that was fair. So I just stuck the ones that we'd already put on the gutter skypes onto this feed as well, and then finished it here. So it, you know, w- you know it will not take that long to, to, uh, be, be podcast. In fact, I, I prefer, I'd like to eventually get to the point where I'm putting them up pretty close to when they actually were played. Occur. Yeah. 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 Uh, on a, Quickly, different note that I feel like I probably should uh, mention, since you mentioned the explicit tag. <laughs> uh, definitely uh, the novel Haven Lost, uh, definitely not aimed at a young audience. There are some elements of horror uh, that, that aren't too bad, but uh, definitely some strong language throughout the book as well. So if you've got a kid who's fine with reading uh, that kind of thing, that's fine, but be aware of it. Uh, as well. So. Yeah, this, if this was a movie, it would definitely garner the R rating for language alone, uh, if not for the horrific stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perhaps uh, it's there's not a lot of it, but it's uh, it's definitely there <laughs> at times when when it's appropriate. Well, yeah, I don't so, go over the top. I think like, I no, I don't think you go over the top. I think I think Celine takes care of that <laughs> all on her own, actually. Um, she's a fun character, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, well, I think we have about covered what I wanted to cover on here. Is there any, are there anything, things you'd like to plug that we haven't mentioned already? Uh, you can read my blog at lioncourt.com. You can follow me on Twitter at lioncourt. And of course the book is available dragonsbrood.net which has all of the links to all the, the major editions and to Goodreads. And if you read the book and enjoy it, uh, I highly would appreciate a uh, review on uh, on Amazon or wherever it is you get the book from. And uh, if you want, uh, give me a shout-out on Twitter and let me know uh, what you thought, and hopefully you'll, you'll enjoy. Well, I'm going to say something he didn't. Uh, Amazon in particular, because we would like to... We... I have nothing to do with this. Why am I saying we? Other than the fact that I'd like to hear it. He would like to get an audiobook done of this. And Amazon requires a certain amount of review. Because Amazon owns audible.com. Right, yeah. The, the more uh, decent to good reviews that you have on Amazon, the better your chances are of getting uh, Audible to... Uh, to uh, work with you in producing the audiobook. So that's what we're shooting for right now. So leave a review wherever you got the book, but if you could copy and paste or something into Amazon as well, or if you get it from Amazon, obviously, then just leave the review on Amazon. But that would be that would be awesome. So 
there's that. So yeah, dragonsbrew.net. It'll be in the show notes. Um, and there we go. Thanks for thanks for coming on here, and thanks for being our first official guest interview. Well, well thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. All right, and uh, the next Dresden Files session will be up shortly. Until then, this is Blind Geek reminding you that your imagination is just like a jetpack. you got to keep it fired up, and always let it soar. <laughs>